This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Twelve thousand additional acres uh, would need to be planted to be able to uh, to meet that demand. Twenty-five million pounds of additional hops to be put onto the market. However, there are breweries out there who don't need those hops and will not be able to honor the contracts. And you're going to see. I think we're already seeing breweries uh, fold uh, because of economic pressures from hot contracts and low sales. This week on the show, sage advice and hop purchasing from industry veteran Carl Okert. You'll hear about the economics of hop growing, contracting tips, things to look for during hop selection, how we got where we are, where things are headed, and more, all right here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Carl, you've been brewing for a long time. Do you remember the first time you signed a hop contract? Yeah, actually, I didn't sign a hop contract till probably 20-odd years uh, after I started brewing. It was in, uh, in fact, I think it was in the mid-2000s when uh, I was buying hops for the, the whole Gambrinus Company breweries, the Shiner Brewery, Trumer, and Bridgeport. And um, uh, I was encouraged by my uh, hop supplier friends that uh, it was a pretty good time to start contracting ahead, that hop supplies were getting tight, and if I wanted to assure the things are going to be going smoothly. I should should start contracting, but of course, I've been heavily encouraged to contract earlier. But uh, I really just hadn't uh, needed to because the spot market was just such a reliable place to go shopping at those days. Yeah, pretty similar experience on my end too, and and probably the case for a lot of craft brewers. Why don't you talk a little bit about that shift to contracting? What, what's good about contracting for brewers? Well, um, there's things that that. Growers want to get out of the deal. There's things that brewers want to get out of the deal. Um, growers, want, growers want stability. They want good return of dollars per acre. And that's what you have to remember as a brewer is that growers don't think of dollars per pound. They think of dollars per acre. And that's how much inputs they're putting into an acre of ground and how much outputs they're going to make on that acre of ground, whether they're growing blueberries or Christmas trees or hops. They don't, it's, it's how many dollars per acre. And they want a good, stable return off of that um, and they're going to be looking for that wherever they can whatever crop they can um, 
And uh, they're looking around at uh, what's going on in the rest of the, the market, the worldwide market, what's happening in Germany and that sort of thing. And if they have a poor yielding stuff, they're going to re- they're going to uh, replace it because they want to improve that dollars per acre. Dealers want to are focused on risks. They pay for all their hops up front. I don't think brewers realize this, but a lot of dealers act like banks. So they pay the grower in November after the hops are in the barn for the hops that they're going to buy, and uh, so they pay, they pay pretty quickly. And they're willing to uh, shift their their commitments fairly quickly too if they don't see the contracts there and and uh, things aren't going the way they want to. More and more, they're focused on very closely managed proprietary varieties. And then finally, the brewers they want predictability. They the brewers who have, especially those who are choosing to brew beers that have got a single hop kind of varietal theme to them want to make sure they can get that variety consistently and reliably. So contracts allow for sales planning, they allow for forecasts, uh, they give you security of supply, security of quality, and they also give you, very importantly, a way of planning your budgetary um, cost of goods as well. So for those paying attention, and I think all brewers should, they can look and see what the, what this beer is costing them to make. So even though it's fun to thump your chest and talk about how you use six pounds of hops per barrel, if those hops cost $15 a pound may not be making any money on that beer so uh, it's important for people to look at that and realize what the implications are take a step back to that time period where almost no craft brewers were contracting what did that mean for the industry yeah i think it's important to realize that in the earlier days ipas were not really a significant style and i know that's hard to remember now but up until the early to mid 2000s most beers being made were, uh, you know, pale, low, fairly low hopped by today's standards. Anyway, pale ales, amber ales were huge in the early 2000s, late 1990s. Everybody was trying to out uh, fat tire each other, and um, or the out hefeweizen in each other. And those are fairly low hop uh, varieties, uh, low hop variety uh, styles. And so, hop the the pool of hops by craft brewers in the market wasn't huge. And the spot market was just basically the crumbs that fell off the table from the bigger uh, brewery contracts. And um, so there was plenty of uh, crumbs to be had to make up the fairly low hop demand from a, you know, a low, low production part of the segment of the, the market. And you know, remember that craft brewers were not a huge segment of the market. They might have been 4 or 5% of the market at that point. Uh, market share. So, you know, the combination of being low market share plus low hop demand in the uh, the variety in the styles they were making made it so it was fairly easy to cover their their demands with uh, with spot market uh, uh, hops. Meanwhile, uh, really, the price of hops was set by Anheuser Busch at the time, and they offered the, the farmers a certain amount of dollars per acre uh, for uh, Willamette hops was their big uh, big variety at the time, and kind of drove the price of hops for the farmers at the time and uh it was sort of the the business model that had sort of grown to be but uh the farmers were getting to be a bit restless because ab was you know not overpaying for their hops certainly and uh some farmers just got out of the business they could make more money per acre planting uh in in our neck of the woods here would be uh, landscaping crops uh, christmas trees blueberries are huge filbert trees uh you know hazelnut trees uh, more and more vinifera grapes, things like that. So they got out of the business. You know, when you see a farmer pulling trellis out of the field, that is sort of the, that's the death knell for that as a, that place as a hop farm. 
Talk about the uh, consolidation of hop growers in the Pacific Northwest. Just just how many uh, have gotten either you know swallowed up or or disappeared. When I entered the business uh, in 1982, 83, uh, there were probably about 200, over 200 hop growing families um, in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Today, there's under 50. So, wow. huge amount of consolidations. Yeah. And of that 50, there's quite a bit of that land actually is under control from uh, Steiner and Haas uh, and uh, you know, the Yakima Hop Union uh, Consortium, which are grower, that's a grower's co-op, but there's there's a certain amount of consolidation that certainly happened. So, uh, you know, capitalism is a double-edged sword. It's supposed to make things more efficient, but it generally reduces uh, competition along the way. So um, there's less and less competition out there. Um, and more and more, as I said, the proprietary hop thing is creeping in where the, there's a couple of supplier groups that control uh, things like Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe, um, Amarillo, and they, they control those hops, and they control the rootstocks of those hops. And so there's even a more constriction on, uh, on um, competition there because you have to have a contractual relationship with those companies to grow those hops. They're not like Cascade or Centennial or Chinook which are public varieties that can be grown by anyone. You know, they can, farmers could, could traditionally just interchange rootstocks for those for free. You know, they could trade themselves either way, but now it's, uh, it's more and more centered on these proprietary varieties. And there's some good and bad things about proprietary varieties. There's more control over the market for those. Um, so there's less oversupply, undersupply going on. They're more closely managed, but, uh, they're also uh, turned the, the farmers into sort of tenant farmers for the uh, for the suppliers that are contracting those things out. Let's hear about some of the economics from the grower perspective. What does it cost to put in new acreage for hops? Yeah, I think it's important for brewers to realize that um, these uh, these hops that get strung up when they say they're planting another five thousand acres of hops. It's not that they're just planting rootstocks in the ground. More than likely, they're actually trellising up uh, land that, that they've converted from another use or they've purchased. And uh, the trellising cost for that is about $7,000 per acre just to put trellis on land that they already own. If they bought new land, that could be another $15,000 per acre. So for new land to be trellised is upwards about $23,000, $25,000 per acre to put in. And on top of that, uh, you know, with the increase in projections for hop need uh, back in 2015, growers were upgrading and putting in new picker, uh, you know, kilns and balers, sort of the, the processing side. Uh, and most people understand that the picking and, uh, and drying and baling of hops occurs on the farm. And that uh, picking shed, uh, as they call it, uh, process can do about 500 acres per hops, give or take, um, in a harvest. And it costs about three, almost $4 million to install for a new, a new setup. So um, to install 500 acres on trellis uh, with trellising and a picking, uh, a new picking capacity is about seven and a quarter million bucks. So there's a lot of, a lot of capital investment there. And these are very conservative people who don't invest readily. They, they, want, to, they want to make sure that their rear ends are covered, and rightfully so. I mean, they, they take a lot of risk there. A bunch of crazy stuff happened in the hot market from 2007 to 2014. What happened and did we learn anything from it? 
2017 was an interesting year. I remember uh, being at an MBA district uh, Northwest meeting, and at the time there were only 75 people at the meeting. Now we get about 400. Um, but in any event, uh, uh, some Hops of Flyer friends of mine came by, uh, Ralph Olson and uh, uh, I think it was Larry Sador or maybe uh, uh, someone else from Steiner at the time came up to me and individually and said, you know, there is a there is going to be a hop shortage this coming year, and you need to contract ahead. You need to make sure you're contracted ahead for the uh, the 2007 crop. And um, I think it was 2006, I guess, that I heard this from these guys. And before, I would kind of contract a little bit here and there, but uh, I got pretty serious when I saw these the looks in their eyes. They said, "This is not a drill." And sure enough, there was a, a shortage. Uh, aggravated by a big warehouse fire that burned uh, a million pounds of hops or so, um, and a kiln fire actually that happened that year too. So there was uh, a lot of loss of hops that happened in 2007, and uh, at the same time IPA was was growing as a, uh, a style. So that and the craft breweries were growing. So that the need for hops was growing at a point where the um, the supply of hops has suddenly hit this this throttling valve. And uh, people were scrambling to find them at the time. And then it became a, 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 a lesson on risk management for all of us. We had to, to, to realize that uh, the hops that we, that we use as American craft brewers set, aside, set us aside in the flavor platforms that we're after from any other hops in the world. There are no other hops in the world that are grown that are quite like American hops. And they are the hops that uh, are driving the flavor platforms for the beers that we make. So very, very important to make sure you have a supply uh, covered and nailed down. And that's when a lot of people woke up and decided, boy, we better, uh, we better start uh, contracting. Back when I was building the Lupulin Exchange, I remember talking to Don Bryant, who told me that when he came on as CEO of Hop Union, spot sales were about 80% of the business. And by 2014, spot sales were only about 5%. Yeah, at that point, uh, the BA took up the banner and was encouraging brewers to to contract. And pretty much everybody kind of really kind of learned their lesson there that if they want a reliable uh, um, sales or a reliable supply, they better uh, they better contract. Plus, you know, as I said, IPA became much more. It's a very hop forward style, and it became much more uh, prominent on the market. So people were were deciding that you know this was the this was something that they needed to really pay attention to and and prepare for. Moving on from uh, 07, some other, th- some other stuff happened in 09 and, and 10 and, and so on. Um, why don't you walk us through kind of the chain of events there? Uh, 2009, uh, there was a merger with AB uh, and InBev, creating ABI, the AB-InBev uh, merger. Uh, you know, when that happened, there was a huge shockwave that went into the hop market. Very large and stabilizing hop, hop contracts were canceled, uh, or just basically, uh, you know, paid out with any without any renewals. Um, so hop contracts uh, that uh, farmers had relied on for, literally for generations. Literally, they had seen the sun rise in the east and the and set in the west, and that was no longer happening for them. And um, so they were pretty shook up. It shook up the hop market. Um, there was also additionally a, a peak of alpha, high alpha hop production and a glut of kilograms of alpha extract in the market. Meanwhile, there was a dearth of aroma varieties available. So in all this time, IPA is rapidly gaining popularity. So there's a pull in the craft brewery segment 
to, even though it's a small segment, it's still a relatively small segment, it's pulling a lot of aroma hops its direction. So all these things were happening. I mean, I had hop growers. I had one hop grower come to me and with tears uh, that, uh, you know, everything that they had relied on for literally decades had, had come crashing down and they didn't know what to do. So it was, uh, it was a tough time. Um, but then, you know, with a silver lining there was that uh, hop growers who had previously not really approached or been allowed to approach brewers directly uh, all of a sudden decided they needed to sell their hops. So they went to brewers directly. And uh, I think my favorite story is uh, <clears throat> coming to work one day and there was a mason jar, <laughs> canning jar with uh, full of hops with a, a phone number on the lid and um, said hops for sale. <laughs> and it was uh, from Crosby Farms. And they had where they were trying to, it was Blake Crosby. He was trying to reach out and try to sell hops to brewers directly. And people just weren't, growers just weren't used to, they didn't know how to do that. So I called him up. I needed some Centennial and I was trying to get a Centennial supply going because it was pretty tight in the market. I think I ordered 15,000 pounds from him. So it was a few acres that they planted to uh, to produce this centennial uh, crop. And uh, we were his first brewer that, that, that they sold to. Meanwhile, Gail Goshi came to me and she was looking for Hop Direct. And so this is where I actually learned a lot about hop economics because I didn't realize the whole thing about dollars per acre. And um, so we arranged a price, basically dollars per acre for the different varieties of Cascade and Willamettes that we wanted to buy. And then, you know, we... we basically kind of based that on average yields per acre over the last three years previous and uh you know to get to a dollar per pound that made sense to me i translated that into dollars for it per acre for our contract and and went contracting with her uh forward on that on that basis we just contracted in dollars per acre for those do they pelletize so, hops for you too or we're using whole leaf or how did that work uh we used a mixture we used about half whole leaf in a hop jack after the uh whirlpool on the hot side and we used about half in, in type 90 pellets so the uh type 90 pellet hops i would was still buying directly from the suppliers but the whole leaf i would buy from those guys um there was a couple other farmers uh doug weathers we, we bought from directly a few others charlie davidson uh, down here in oregon i was trying to be a little more oregon centric because i was at bridgeport which is located in portland oregon and i wanted to support uh, oregonian uh, farmers as much as i could fair enough so continuing on um once we get into sort of uh around 2010 or so the industry did a, a really remarkable job sort of pulling out high alpha acreage and converting it to aroma to to deal with sort of the the change in demand right yeah i don't think anybody would have saw that coming even five years before um even though ipa was starting its march as the dominant beer style high alpha hops were certainly the dominant uh varieties being grown super high alphas ctz and uh other varieties were being grown for extracts and that was being uh that was really the you know about of, of half of all the hops grown in the in the world even currently half of them go into extracts and the other half uh go into pellets or some other kind of product but um at that point uh the extracts were huge and so there was a huge contra uh, contract a uh, conversion of uh super high alpha acreage into aroma variety acreage and by 2014, the Roma variety acreage was actually higher than the uh, uh, alpha acreage, which I think was probably something that really was a head smack for a lot of people because no one, no one had ever really seen that before since the onset of super high alpha hop varieties that, that had just never been the case. But, you know, having said that, Roma varieties yield quite a bit less per acre. So 
the amount of hops was sort of the pound, the volume of hops was sort of mitigated by the fact that they had pulled these hops out. They were yielding over 2000 pounds per acre and planted varieties that were making maybe 1200 to 1500 pounds per acre. Uh, so that was a, a bit of a shift there in acreage, but not necessarily in volume. Coming up. There are breweries out there who don't need those hops and will not be able to honor the contracts. And you're going to see, I think we're already seeing breweries uh, fold uh, because of economic pressures from hot contracts and low sales. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Whitcomb Selinski McAuliffe PC serves all brewers in registering and protecting trademarks, navigating the label approval process, and assisting with OSHA inspections and safety compliance. Please go to WSMLawPC.com for more information. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The District St. Paul Minneapolis February Meeting and Scholarship Drive is February 21st at Bueller in Plymouth, Minnesota. District St. Louis meets February 21st at Third Wheel Brewing. District Carolina's Winter Technical Conference is February 23rd at Old Mecklenburg Brewery in Charlotte. The 2019 California Joint Technical Conference is February 28th and March 1st in Paso Robles. District Northern Rockies meets in meets March 1st in Bozeman. District Philadelphia meets at Flying Fish Brewing in Somerdale, New Jersey, March 8th. District Eastern Canada meets in Montreal, March 21st. District St. Louis also meets on March 21st at Urban Chestnuts Grove location. Don't miss the Maintaining a Clean Brewery webinar March 28th. It's not too early to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing things up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. As soon as this interview is over, I'm headed to the 63rd Annual American Hop Convention, where I expect the tone to be quite a bit different than it was just a few years ago. Take us back to the 2015 convention. What was that like? Um, actually, I, to be perfectly honest, I was not at the 2015 convention. I missed that, but uh, I did catch up from other people uh, talking to them. And uh, in that, that convention, um, there was an announcement from uh, the Brewers Association that they thought that craft breweries would attain 20% market share in 2020. And along with that, because of the strong demand of IPA, which was just rampant at the time and still is, you know, a huge style, they uh, projected a 25% increase in total hop demand. 
and with this, with aroma hops that were being used, that would re reflect in a 30% increase in acreage. So a huge increase in acreage. 12,000 additional acres uh, would need to be planted to be able to, uh, to meet that demand. 25 million pounds of additional hops to be put onto the market. So uh, large, large uh, projection there, very bold. Um, what it meant to the, the farmers were it was going to be uh, converting and trellising uh, 12,000 acres. Even if they owned the property, it would be another 84 million bucks. And then adding the 50% uh, of that capacity uh, in new harvesting and drying, picking shed infrastructure, be another about 45, 50 million dollars. So you've got you know hundreds of millions of dollars being uh, looked at as investments. Um, then there was the capacity to pelletize this on the supplier side and storage, cold storage capacity to store this stuff. You know, it was a, it was a huge, uh, it was a huge uh, um, prospect going forward. And uh, to their credit, uh, through contracting and investment, uh, the farmers did it. They made it, and uh, they are producing at that level that they were asked to do. Um, and that might not be so great. <laughs> <laughs> the problem was what they did was they. There's a lot of risk there, and you know, people have to understand business risk to a certain extent. You have to be an economist, but you have to understand that if you're going to invest all that stuff, you want to all that money. You want to make sure you're going to get your money back again. And up till then, the farmers were the ones taking all the risk because nobody was really contracting. I mean, they were contracting, but they weren't contracting that far ahead. And they were contracting on a model that was 100% for the current year, 75% for the next year, 50% for the year after. So there was a, a certain amount of risk-taking from the brewers, but not, not nearly enough from the growers' perspective. So they went into requiring and demanding basically five-year five contracts at 100% volume. And um, that pretty much transferred all the risk to the brewers. And the problem was that, um, well, you know, if you look at sales and, hop and uh, market share, uh, things were already starting to flatten out by 2015. And 2016, uh, the market, was, market volume share for brewers was essentially, craft brewers was flat. 17, slight rise, 0.5%, but essentially flat. And going into the 2018, I haven't seen any numbers come out yet, of course, because it's still early. But uh, my guess is that uh, it's still going to be relatively uh, uh, dull. So we're unlikely to hit that 20% in 2020. Anything's possible, but I would say it's probably Extremely unlikely. Extremely unlikely, yeah. yeah. So, so an incredible amount of infrastructure went into growing more hops, especially aroma, in recent years. And that, that expansion was largely fueled by craft brewing's run of double-digit growth. What happens now that growth has slowed significantly? Um, well, I think there's going to be a bit of a hangover. Um, I know that there are, there are breweries that are stuck in contracts that they don't need. It's, uh, it's a little tough because when you talk to the farmers and suppliers, some of the suppliers uh, talk to the farmers, they'll say, hey, we're good. We've got contracts for all this. However, there are breweries out there who don't need those hops and will not be able to honor the contracts. And you're going to see, I think we're already seeing breweries uh, fold. Um, because of economic pressures from hot contracts and low sales. So not only did the the contracts, these huge contracts come in at their, that they were forced to sign, these shotgun marriage contracts they were forced to sign come in to, to take on that risk, but sales have gone down and high IPA, which is sort of the hop growth engine, that that style has slowed down in growth as well. So 
IPA is what was grabbing all these hops, sucking all these hops out of the fields, and it slowed down, and the sales overall have slowed down. And so what we're seeing right now is the, uh, <clears throat> the supplies, the barns are full. They're struggling to find cold storage capacity to hold these, uh, all these extra hops. We had a great hop, you know, we had a great yield in 2018. <clears throat> and uh, the only saving grace might be that our colleagues and brothers over there in Germany had a horrible yield in 2018. And some of these hops are being uh, from America are being uh, pelletized or uh, extracted to help uh, supply and make up that supply from the German hop. Uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a failure, but close to a failure. They're about 50% down. So that's, uh, that's not good for them. But uh, there's some shift to try to uh, make up that market there in, in hop extract. People are extracting hops that they normally wouldn't extract in order to, to use them up and uh, sell them on the extract market. Uh, all this stuff kind of hinges on what's going to go happen going forward, but <clears throat> basically there's too many hops in the ground. It'll be interesting to hear at the convention coming up this week uh, just what the plans are, because I remember la at last year's uh, or the year before his convention in 2017, I remember uh, it was in Bend, and I was at the Deschutes Brewery at the time, and we were struggling with uh, some hop uh, contract issues of our own at the, that point. And I was talking to my supplier friends and pleading with them to pull acreage out of the ground, as were others. And instead, the farmers decided and the suppliers decided to plant an additional 5,000 acres at the time, when they probably should have pulled 5,000 out. Um, I think planting slowed last year. And I would say probably this year, more than likely, you're going to see some conversions of aroma back over to super high alpha because there is a uh, uh, alpha extract uh, um, uh, supply problem. I think you're going to probably see that. I don't think you're going to see a lot of people planting a lot of additional aroma acres. They might be changing varieties around a little bit, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of new acres going into the ground. Maybe some pulled out. Probably need to do that, but we'll see. So now would probably be a good time to talk about the shelf life of hops, right? Yeah, it's important for brewers to remember that hops, just like any other kind of agricultural product, have got some kind of shelf life. And uh, the, the hop storage index is a useful guide to, to gauging just how fresh your hops are. Uh, about 0 0.23, 0.25 is a pretty good base. Uh, as the hops get older, um, the number increases up to 2. At 2, 0.0, there's basically no alpha extract left, but the hop storage index gives you an idea of just how old your hops are getting. Um, baled hops have got a, a hop uh, have got a shelf life around 12 to 18 months, depending on the variety. If they're kept at about uh, minus two degrees Celsius, um, pelleted T90 hops increase the shelf life increases three to five years uh, it's at the same storage conditions. And if you extract the hops the shelf life goes way up to about 10 years plus, and that's if you keep it at about 4.5 degrees Celsius. So, you know, by processing the hops out of bales into pellets and then into extracts, you actually do increase the shelf life quite a bit. Um, people who are stuck with a lot of hops, uh, the problem for them is that uh, there's no secondary market really for hops. That they're, uh, They pretty much are grown for beer. That's it. You, They don't make great cattle feed. They're uh, you can't even really burn them. They don't even burn very well. So um, pretty much they go into compost, and uh, you have to pay to compost hops. They don't give you money for it. So um, some hop growers or some hop uh, uh, brewers are going to find that their hop supply is a lot more than their demand in their sales of their beers, and they're going to have to make some hard decisions on what to do next. 
Yeah, and you know, going back to the, sort of the um, shelf life, you know, the quality of the of the processing plant really uh, factors in there big time too. Um, for example, I, I'm like a lot of people still working through some 2015 and 2016 crop hops, and just in the last few weeks, I broke open a couple of boxes of 2015 Cascade from two different vendors, uh, two different well-known vendors. You know, storage conditions exactly the same. And, you know, one of them you open up, smells great, smells like Cascade hops, you know, very, um, very aromatic, uh, fresh. The other one just totally oxidized and I don't know, just a, just a lack of aroma and, uh, just not good, you know? Yeah. They start, they start getting composty after a while. Um, you know, if, what, what, what kind of storage conditions did you have them under? Uh, in both cases, they were stored um, not quite at 28, but probably more like uh, probably 35. Yeah, it makes it does make a big difference. When I talked to Val Peacock, an old friend of mine uh, who did some work with me in the Master Brewers uh, Specialty Handbook uh, book, uh, he is he basically uh, says if they're not below freezing, you're going to be you're gonna you're gonna have some quality problems. So, for for people who have got a huge amount of hops that uh, are not a huge amount. They've got extra hops they don't need. They've got to get them below 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Makes um, sense. Tw- close to 28 as you can to, to keep that freshness. And you're right, different processors will have different uh, abilities to make sure that the uh, the oxygen is properly scav- scavenged out of those bags. But, you know, uh, the world is 20% oxygen, and you're not going to reduce it to zero no matter how many purges you do. <laughs> so uh, there's always going to be some O2 in there, and there's always going to be some oxidation happening that uh, is going to be problematic for these hops. Uh, How about some forecasting tips? What are the most common mistakes you see brewers repeating? Um, The biggest problem I see is that that brewers rely too much on their sales forecasts from their salespeople and marketing people who have normally born with rose-colored glasses on and are are bonused heavily on hitting uh, objectives, uh, high objectives out there in the field. So they normally forecast for high objectives and um, brewers need to really question just why it is we're going to have 10% growth this year. What's going to deliver that to me? Are you opening up new markets? Are you getting into different chain stores? What is what is your plan to actually achieve that? You've got to be critical. The brewers need to be critical on that and, and also realize that forecasts are always wrong. They're always wrong. They are just a guide. They are not the uh, they are not the truth etched into stone. They need to be constantly, regular uh, and regularly, realistically updated. And I see this happening at breweries everywhere. <laughs> they they take a look at the sales forecast and they say, okay, that's what we're going to sell, and um, and that's it for the year. They don't even look at it again. But then they're they're. they're Brewing goes down or whatever, and they say, "Well, you know, hey, we're supposed to be selling this or that." But you know, you need to look at this realistically and say, "Okay, this is what. What do we think we're actually going to do here?" And and by uh, realistically, I mean uh, take a look at the industry-wide trends that are they're available. There's some great sources out there. The BA's got numbers. AC Nielsen's got number. Brewery Institute's got numbers. Take a look at these uh, these regular reports of what's going on out there in the market, and and you know project accordingly from that and that's uh look at your depletions from your wholesalers um the shipments are one thing the depletions are what the wholesalers actually sell to their customers the retailers and that's where the rubber meets the road that's the actual pull that's going on in the market not your shipment from a 
to the distributor who may or may not know how to manage their stock accordingly. But the depletions that that wholesaler is uh, actually selling to their retailer, that's the real number to look at. Talk about how to build quality parameters into your hop contract. Or is that even possible for the very smallest of breweries? Um, I think for the real tiny uh, 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 producers that are just on brew pub size, making 500 to 1,000 barrels a year, um, you're kind of uh, you're kind of be kind of riding the coattail of the the larger uh, colleagues out there that are able to actually influence the suppliers more. But I think on mass, uh, craft brewers have been able to have an impact on suppliers, demanding better quality and better uh, more more transparency in the process. I think the first thing to realize is, and this is something that I asked for years ago, and it was unheard of, was to see on my uh, sampling information what the usda bail markings were so i could tell um if i was going to audit a, a pellet process and i selected hops the usda bail marking is the thumbprint required by the federal government to be marked on every bale this is not a supplier hop lot number this is what the grower has to put on every bale and uh it, it is the thumbprint that goes all the way through the system so require those um markings are those lot numbers and farms so know who you're buying from and uh know what it is that bail marking should look like so if you decide for very small suppliers this may not be possible but as you get larger you can you can go to hop uh you can audit pellet runs and take a look and make sure you're getting the hops that you uh, selected um look for a percent allowable leaf and stem and put some so qualifiers on that if it's um you know i won't accept more than one percent leaf and stem i don't want to pay for leaf and stems you know if it's over one percent i will ask for a five uh, percent reduction in price um, so look at those look at they, they should be able, they, they're required to report that that's an fda requirement so they're they're required to tell you what the percent leaf and stem is look at the aroma quality condition and the contaminants when i go and, and rub hops in um in the yakima every year which i've done for probably more than two and a half decades now um, I'm looking first off for problems. I'm looking for composty smells, musty smells, oily diesel smells. I'm looking at the hops. I'm trying to figure out whether this has got some kind of aphid infection or mite infection. Um, I'm looking for whole cones that have been properly dried and don't shatter when I take the, uh, the sample out of its package. You know, look for those things, and then I start looking for the quality of the hops because if they don't have, if they don't, if they've got problems, I don't go any further. I just put them aside. But if they uh, look pretty good from there, and they got good cones, and they're looking good, um, and uh, the initial smells are good, then I'll rub and I'll look for characteristic aroma quality for that that uh, variety. Um, more and more people are looking at uh, USDA allowable chemicals that were used, and those chemicals have to be used in accordance to the label. Um, so, uh, especially if you're going to extract these hops, you're going to hope to sell them in Europe or Japan, they will require you to know from the grower what the, uh, what the pesticide and, and, uh, chemical applications were. And those applications have to meet what the label requirement at the time was for that crop, uh, crop year. Um, that's important to know. And then you know, the other things we look at are percent alpha acid, uh, percent beta acid, HSI is a real good one to know. Um, sometimes people ask for how many pounds of hops per lot were produced, that sort of thing. Um, we look at the, uh, uh, the moisture level if we can. We look at uh, uh, 
you know, the baleage, if we're buying bales uh, to shoots, we bought a lot of whole hops. So we were looking at, you know, uh, target gross weight and density on the bales. High density bales were difficult for us to process in the brewery. So we tried to stay away from those. But sometimes that wasn't possible, especially for European varieties. And then when we look at pelleting, um, we look at some specifications for dye size and process temperature range. And basically, you want to have that dye warm enough that it's going to be able to melt the, um, uh, liquefy the, uh, the alpha acid, the lupulin glands, to be able to seal that pellet up and form a nice pellet so it doesn't turn into powder, but not so hot that it's going to scorch uh, the pellets. Um, my first experience was at a hop uh, dealer in, in Yakima, who uh, in 1983, I think it was, i never seen a pellet mill live. I've never actually been to a pellet processing facility. And he proudly showed me his pellet mill, and it was pelleting Willamette hops or something at the time. And I stuck my hand underneath the outlet of the pellet mill, and I couldn't hold the hops. They were so hot, they burned my hand. And the, the hop pellets themselves were scorched black. Mm. And he proudly told me that that's how a good pellet's made. It's got to be too hot to handle. And it's got to be scorched, so you know that 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 pellet was properly sealed. Well, Oof. turns turns out that's not the right way to make pellets. So, uh, pellet density, percent uh, alpha, carton labeling requirements. We go through all that. I, I think all that's good for for brewers to look at when they're looking at pelleting specifications in their contracting. What should brewers watch out for in regards to price and contract terms? Um. Well, I think in contracting, we need to get out of these. I think we're getting out of these five-year contracts. People are finally, you know, that was 2015 that uh, was for 16 crop that were, uh, these contracts came in, and it's 2000, uh, we're going into 2019 now. So um, some of those contracts are finally starting to sunset. I think contracting is still really important. Brewers need to have reliable supply, and growers need to have reliable contracts to, to make sure that they're going to get paid for the crop that they're growing. So I encourage people to stay with contracting, but let's go back to the three-year model where you buy, you, know, you top up for 100% of your needs going into the crop year. You contract for 70, you've contracted for 75% of the next year's needs and 50% of the, the, the year after that and continually top up. And that way you can make some course corrections. If things happen like you, uh, you are changing brands or you no longer require that hop and that kind of quality, quantity, your recipes change, whatever. You can make some course corrections, and you don't get stuck with, with hops you don't need. You don't have growers growing hops that you don't need, that sort of thing. Um, you want to, I think it's important to, uh, to, to, to utilize maybe a combination of direct farm and dealers if you can. Um, some of the farmers have got pellet mills now. Uh, you can even actually have the the pelleting done. Some of them, some of the suppliers and farmers will pellet, will toll pellet for you. So they'll charge you a certain price per pound to pellet uh, baled hops that you bring to them. Um, but I don't think you want to go with any one supplier, any one farmer, um, because you know things happen. There's hailstorms can come through and ruin an entire field in an afternoon. So you have to make sure that you have diversity out there and you manage the risk of your supply. I think it's a good idea to try to rationalize the number of varieties you use. Um, uh, I've seen brewers that have got upwards of 40 different varieties they're trying to manage, and that's just too many. You know, um, you're going to get stuck. You're going to get caught buying hops you don't need, and you're going to end up writing them off and composting them. So try to rationalize and, and put it under a manageable amount of uh, varieties. Uh, send out uh, requests for pricing letters to the suppliers and include your quality specifications and terms. You know, they should be uh, 
they should be aware of what you expect as quality coming out on their end from the, the hops that they're going to sell to you. And make that clear up front. Pay attention to your terms, your storage charges. Storage charges can mount up quite quickly. Um, usually you're required to, to remove all the hops out of a warehouse by the by August after the, the harvest and uh, before the next harvest hits. And they'll start charging you some pretty hefty storage charges to try to uh, incentivize you to get those things out of there. Um, and finally, tally up your hop contract. If you've bought 10,000 pounds of hops at a dollar at $15 a pound, uh, realize you've got a $150,000 commitment you've just purchased. And realize that that's, that's, a, that's a commitment that your company's going to have to cover. So tally up your dollar commitments, you know, turn to extend that pricing out and understand just how much that contract you've just signed, you're going to sign is worth. It may be a $5 million contract and your operation may not be able to actually uh, understand that and keep up with it. So keep an eye on your cost of goods sold. Keep an eye on your gross margins and your cash flow. Work with your accounting people so that uh, you don't produce beers and recipes that you can't actually make any money from. Those are my uh, tips. That's good <laughs> advice. I like it. Do you think we're always going to see price volatility and pendulum swings in the hot market? Um, I remember uh, Joe Hertrick, who's uh, a guy who's been in the brewing business for a long time and uh, someone I admire greatly, respect quite a bit, said at a District Northwest meeting uh, years ago, I invited him to speak at our fall meeting on uh, hops and barley. And he said, pound for pound, there's no greater entertainment value in the brewing business than the hop market, the American <laughs> hop market. That sounds because like they can't. <laughs> yeah. He says they struggle to understand a supply and demand curve. Uh, there are hop growers out there who still think that they've got a God-given right to plant hops. And uh, if they've got acres out there that they can be planted, by God, they're going to plant it and they'll find a place to sell those hops to. And more and more, I think that that feeling is kind of disappearing. And as, especially as the newer generation starts taking hold in the hop growers, which is, by the way, probably the biggest threat we see out there is the newer generation and whether they're going to be there for us. Um, these, these are folks who've uh, got a little more edu business education under their belts for the most part, and they're understanding what a supply and demand curve looks like, and they're a little more cautious about just planting. Um, so hopefully the volatility thing will, will stabilize a bit more than it has. But I've watched a couple of these cycles in my career over the last 35 and a half years, and uh, we're, we're going to enter into one right now. Spot market, as you're probably well aware of, uh, John, is, is alive and well right now because people have got way too many hops. And that's driving the price down. And so um, people are going to be a little hesitant to contract at the prices they were three years ago going forward right now because they don't have to. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's going to affect the, the market. It's going to affect growers and their ability to, uh, to make payments that they need to make and uh, cover the costs they've got. But, you know, they were, they were put a, basing these contracts, uh, these five-year contracts on $12,000 an acre. And that's about twice what I was paying Gail Goshi. Uh, back in the, the mid-2000s. So um, there was a lot of money there that was being invested in whether or not they can kind of retract those contracts back and, and put them into a more rational cost per pound. I guess that all remains to be seen what happens. That was Carl Okert here on the Master Brewers Podcast. If you like what you heard today, check out the District Northwest Presentations Archive, where you can download Carl's Hop Contracting 101 presentation. That's under the Meetings tab at mbaa.com.
Did you know that Master Brewers now has a mobile app? TQ articles, podcasts, webinars, Ask the Brewmasters, and more, all in the same place. Search Master Brewers in the App Store to download it now. And then I fall on the ground Just like that one day, like everyone else did Countdown, I'm moving too fast And then I hit on the ground Just like that one day